Let's take our Bibles together, please, to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8 this evening. Nehemiah chapter 8. The last time I preached through the book of Nehemiah was in 1995. Some of you were not in existence in 95. And when I came to this chapter of the Bible in Nehemiah, it was in March of that year, I preached a message on essentials to revival. I believe that is still the sense of this text and the following chapter as well. But I wanted to pull from verse number one a phrase that he mentions because I want to elaborate on the things that I think are necessary for God's working hand to be among us. And that phrase is into the street. Into the street. Very interesting place where God's work began. Alan Redpath, the late Alan Redpath, has a very good book on the book of Nehemiah that he wrote. He was a man that sought revival in his days. And he divided the book of Nehemiah up into two sections. He said the first six chapters speak of the reconstruction of the wall. But the last seven chapters speak of the re-instruction of God's people. That God spent one more chapter trying to build something inside of them than he did discussing the building on the outside. I think that's exactly true. I, I think the work of God's people from chapter 1 to chapter 6 cannot be overlooked of the last part of this book of God's work in them. And we can never feel or think that whatever we're doing in our lives for God, that, that the work is done because things look well on the outside. There is instruction, there is revival that needs to take place on the inside of our hearts. And I, I'm trusting and praying that God's spirit of revival would would work in us again as a, as a church. And I, I, the last thing I want to do is go through the motion, motions of church. I, I, I want God's spirit to go through our hearts and minds. And, you know, we can have full seats and we can have a building on the horizon to be built. And we can be engaged in filling it up. And all of that is wonderful things. But what we really need is God's revival on the inside of us. That's what we need. And there are some ingredients, some essentials that have to happen before that can ever take place. And we, we want, I want to look at that with you. And we, we'll just get through probably verse 5 tonight. And the interesting thing about this text is that the initiative of God's working in this chapter was from the people. It was not from the preacher. It was not from the leader. It was from the congregation. 
Let's look at this together tonight. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 1. The Bible says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding, upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate, from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand, And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema and Aniah and Urijah and Hilkiah and Messiah on on his right hand. And on his left hand, Pedaiah and Mishael and Malchiah and Hashem and Hashbadana, Zechariah and Mishalem. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Everybody was of one heart. This is not something that Nehemiah had told them to do. This is not something that Ezra had told them to do. There was something in the heart of all the people. Can you see that? I I can hardly even get my head around that because I've never really, maybe if I would look back into some meetings or, or a few times in my life where all the people, but that little phrase in verse 1, and all the people. There wasn't one among them that was not of heart for this thing. All the people gathered themselves together. Not a mandated assembly. Not a, okay, you got to come on Sunday or you got to be here on our midweek service. But this spontaneous desire of the whole congregation, we've got to get together. We need God and we need to to find His book and, and receive His help. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man. Now I started thinking, why would they why would they do that? And they all walk out into the street. Why would they have that initiative to do that? Why was it their pursuit? Why was it their desire? I think maybe because there had been a moving of God in the previous book, the book of Ezra. If you recall uh, the events of Ezra, Ezra goes to Jerusalem 13 years before Nehemiah. And the temple of God is built in the book of Ezra. And then in Nehemiah, the wall is built. And then they're going to have to, as we saw the other other time, they're going to have to start building their houses that are in the wall. 
But, but God had already done something great when Ezra was there. Ezra had been there a lot longer than Nehemiah. And of course, Nehemiah is more of the, the political leader, though. He's also a spiritual leader. But, but Ezra is that true. He's the priest, you see. He's, he's the scribe. He's, he's the one that's supposed to lead them into the things of God. And back in the book of Ezra, especially if you read chapter 9, man, God really did a wonderful thing in, in Ezra chapter 9. And I think the moving of God and the power of God and the work of God was very prevalent through Ezra. But Ezra had initiated that. It was Ezra's prayer and Ezra's confession and Ezra's burden. But here it's the people. Maybe there were some people that were there that day that just had that taste of what God did for them in the past. And maybe they begin spreading that. Hey, we, we need what happened years ago. And, and, and because they, they come to Ezra, they, they do not come to Nehemiah. They come to that one that had led that moving of God prior. Maybe it was the prior move of God that spurred their hearts to seek him again. Have you had some prior moves of God in your life? Does that encourage you to want to seek Him again? Does that encourage you not to lose heart or lose hope, but try to find that place back again where you were revived once before? and Where God had a hold of your heart and had control of your life? I don't know what it was. It may have been the timing of the thing. The Bible says in verse number 2, at the end of the verse, look at what the end of verse 2 says. Upon the first day of the seventh month. Now that's significant because that's the day the Feast of Tabernacles was to begin. You know, Israel had three great feasts of the year. And they would gather and they were spread out through the year and they'd have those feasts. You know, we have three great feasts at Sweet Spring. And we feast. We have big feast in February. That's a big feast. That's a big rejoicing. That's a big time with God when we have our missions conference. And we've always had our homecoming feast. We had all those, always have those preachers come in. We eat good and we sit down and, and, and feed with the Bible as well and gather together. That's a feast. That's a, that's, a, that's a wonderful time. It always has been for our church family. And it seemed like God sort of, sort of helped us insert a third feast in there in the summertime. I've got a real blessing the last two years at family camp. It's been a feasting. We've eaten good physically and spiritually as well. Maybe it's the fact that they look at the calendar and say, you know, in our history, when we always hit this day and hit this month, we'd have a big feast and things really aren't organized right now to do any of that. Maybe that burdened their heart to seek God because... What had been was not what was going on. Whatever it is, the initiative came from them. I, I've been in revivals before where the revival didn't happen because the pastor or the deacons or the preacher or the Sunday school teacher. I've been in revivals before when, when it was spurred on by the teenagers. The teenagers wanted God. When they, you know, it doesn't matter where it comes from. Somebody just needs to get a burning heart for the Lord. Uh, 
was it Zinzendorf there with the Moravians where he, he prayed and prayed and prayed for those children because he saw no spiritual life in them? Boy, what a phrase. That's really gripped my heart through the years. You see somebody, maybe everything else is all right, but there's no spiritual life there. There's no spiritual hunger there. And he began to pray for those children. And revival broke out with those children. And they began to weep and to pray, not their parents, but the children. Wouldn't it be great if all the people would gather themselves together as one man, as one man, and say, let's let's get the help of the Lord. You know, so many times I think if everybody's not with it, things don't happen like they ought to happen. All the people together, one man. That's what happened. Oh, let's, let's have the early church with the book of Acts. They were all together. They were all together in one place. They were all unified in prayer. They didn't have their own agendas. They didn't have, the, they all had the same motive, desire, prayer, purpose. Do you know the great intimacy that occurred between the Lord's table and Gethsemane was because Judas left. And when Judas left, Jesus began to speak things to those disciples that he didn't speak while Judas was there. And that hymn that they sang and they went out that Mount of Olives... And to go to that place of Gethsemane, that hymn that they sang, I bet it was so much sweeter because the devil wasn't there. Do you understand? While they're walking to Gethsemane, I believe probably that's where John chapter 17 and, and some of those events and some of those great prayers and, and things that we find, that intimacy of, the, of what Jesus told us that the Christianity was going to be all about and our being uh, one in Him and one in the Father. All that was said when, when Judas is gone. And they've got one heart and they've got one mind. You know, I think sometimes God would do a whole lot if the spirit wouldn't be quenched by the one person that brought the devil in with them. Am I reading here all the people? One man, they're all on the same page. Now, that doesn't mean all their lives are perfect and all their lives are right because their lives are a mess. We're going to see that by the time we get to the last chapter of Nehemiah. They've got plenty of problems. I'm not talking about coming in with all of our, 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 our lives totally right and totally clean. And I'm not talking about that because revival can break out with broken people. But everybody's got to be on the same page with God. Everybody's got to have an open heart for God. Everybody has to have a seeking spirit for God. And they're all with, as one man. And so many times, I believe, we come to a service and, and somebody didn't come in seeking for God, but they came in with a bad attitude or they came in with something else on their mind. When they sit through the service not praying, Oh God, speak to my heart, but their mind is elsewhere. I'm just saying if God could help us be unified. But a lot of times there can be a different spirit. You know why? People bring a different spirit in with them. 
Do you know if we all had come in here tonight full of the Holy Ghost, I probably wouldn't even be able to hardly preach tonight. And revival would break out with anybody sing, having to sing the best invitation hymn. If we'd all have one heart. If we would all be one man. The key. They're unified. There's, there's no accident that something's going to happen in this chapter. Something glorious is going to occur. And you know what? We're not trying to get people to unify us about our little idiosyncrasies and opinions. We're just trying to get unified around this Amen. and around God. And that's what they're doing here. No agendas. Verse 1, would you look at it again? And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street. I just, does that not seem unusual to you? They don't go to church, they go out in the street. Before the water gate, we're going to find, of course we've talked about that before. But they go out into the street. In other words, They're not trying to do their business with God privately. They're doing it openly. They're doing it publicly. They're doing it for all the world to see. They go out in the street and they're unashamed and they're open and they're seeking God. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't seek God in private, but there ought to be something that rises up in us that we are not ashamed to seek God for all the eyes of the world to see them. They went into the street. You know, if you can't praise God in this building, you ain't never going to praise God. Because you're at home here. It ought to be the easiest thing in the world to praise the Lord here. It ought to be the easiest thing in the world for you to, to cry and repent and confess and humble yourself. Because you're among friends who are doing the same thing. But to go out into the street where everybody can see you. That's why I think Christianity ought to be taken to the street. This this meeting, this service, you know what they're going to do? They're going to read the Bible. They're going to teach the Bible. And it's all going to be done in the street. It's all going to be done. It's not a church building. It is not even at the temple. It's in the street. I'm so glad for the man God used in my life when I was 18 years old that worked in my heart and showed me if my Christianity is only for something in private or for a group of people, then it's not very real. Take that and put it out there in the street. You can preach up there on the pulpit, preach out there in the street. You can say you love Jesus in the church and testify. Go say it out there in the street. Amen. You know what they're going to do in the street? They're going to read the Bible. They're going to read the Bible in the street. You know what the world says? Y'all need to keep that in church. Well, that's not what Jesus told us to do with it. He didn't tell us to keep it in the church. He said go out into the highways. Last time I checked, that was the street. 
I think every one of us, I think every one of us ought to be so serious with God that we would all ought to be willing to go out there and not only hold a sign in the street, but quote Bible verses in the street, sing songs in the street. You say, well, that's weird. Yes, but God is there. Revival is there. You know what, it, what it, I really think when you go out in the street, you lose some of your dignity. We, we need to do this in the temple. No, no, you need to go to the street before you go to the temple. If it's good enough in the temple, it ought to be good enough out there in the street. If it's good in church, it ought to be good out there in public. And guys, the world doesn't see Christians, Christianity like that. I think revival is going to take place with these people because they were publicly unashamed and open. They were openly for God. I've met a lot of Christians that have been ashamed to be out in the street with their Christianity. That's why I think it's a great thing that that when they take the teenagers out there to hold signs, I think that's great. They need to learn that early. If they can learn that early, because when old heads have to learn to get out in the street, it's a lot harder. Amen to that. I'm not chiding. I'm just saying, because I think in the past we've done a a good job with that. I mean, we don't have 100%. But, guys, they're all in the street. Can't you you see somebody in Jerusalem saying, well, why do we have to go in the street? It wasn't that way. They all went in the street. They didn't, they didn't care where they had to go to meet God. They didn't care where they had to go to get help from God. I see that as the second key of this story. I see a third one. The Bible tells us in verse number 1, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street, That was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. You talk about a light and a light and a fire under the preacher. He didn't come to them to preach. They came to him and said, go get the book. Ezra, please go bring that book. We want to see that book. We need to hear that book. Can you imagine? He he must have exploded. This was not an emotional revival. This was a biblical revival. They didn't say, hey, Ezra, solve all our problems. No, they said, Ezra, go get the book. They didn't come saying, oh, God, give us a good feeling, comfort our heart. No, they said, go get the book. We need the book. We're hungry for the book. Read the book. Hungry for the book. Just people like you that work their jobs and do their thing. They want that book. And they come to that water gate, which, of course, we talked about that, how that's a type of that book and and the water of the Word of God. And the Bible tells us in verse 3, look at it. He read therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning until midday. 
They couldn't get enough of him reading that book. Hours and hours. Listening to God's book. They even made a pulpit to put, to put him on. You see verse 4? And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose. Now listen. Now this, the word that we use in our modern the way we speak today, when we say the word pulpit, we really talk about a lectern. This is really a lectern. <laughs> a pulpit was, was a, some, of wood where he stood up and it raised him up above the people. Not, just, not so they could see him, so that they could see the book. I, I don't know how he had to go about getting that book out. But the Bible says that everybody, look at verse 2. Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, all that could hear with understanding. Everybody, he said that again in verse number 3. Anybody that could understand what's being read, they're all gathered out into the street. Now that means that, that their kids weren't there. They had a nursery. They had to have. Because it's going to be hard to sit a kid through a six-hour service. Of reading. Even then. So it's the people that could understand that's who is there. Because this is such a big, long event. They're out in the street. But they, they want to hear God's book. And so he brings, you know what, I think maybe we read over that. And the Bible said, verse 3, he read therein that long. He said, wow, man, they, these people must be just so bored. You guys, you know what our problem is? They didn't have that in their house. So they went to the guy that had the book and they said, would you read it to us? And we don't care how long you read. We've just got to hear those words of God again. There will not be a powerful working of God in our hearts without a hunger for that book. I'm hungry. Speak, Lord, I need your book. People get so bored with God and so bored with the Bible. They have so many trinkets and games and activities and pleasures that the Bible that they have, that they're able to have in their house, they don't even see as a privilege and an honor and just a unique thing in in the world. For this 6,000 years that this world has been here, do you know how many people were able to have God's book in their hand and take it home with them. This is a new thing, guys. Even from the dawning of of Gutenberg's printing press to start printing the Bibles, even after that, it was not like everybody had a Bible. There may have been one in every church. And still to this very day, there are people around this world they don't have one of these. They don't. 
And maybe one of our problems is the lack of revival that we have in our hearts is we're just so used to that. Always there. Got two or three on the shelf. Ezra brought that law. He brought that book. And by the way, it was a copy. He didn't have the originals. But his copy was perfect. And it was good enough for the job. I see a fourth key in verse number three. Not just hunger for the Bible and unity and a public, unashamed openness for God. But in verse number three, it says, And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning. In the Jewish economy, that would be 6 a.m. until midday. That's six hours. So from about the rising of the sun until noon, reading six hours. You know what's funny? Some of you had a problem with chapter 7. We got 72 verses he's going to read. <laughs> the children of Gibeon, the men of Bethlehem, the men of Anathoth, the men of Kirjath Jerob, Sifra, Bira, 743. <gasps> Do we have to read them all, preacher? Just say ditto and get on with it. Six hours. And you know what they were reading? They weren't reading the stories of the Bible. I mean, you could probably read the book of John and everybody pay attention, but it, it, it's a narrative. But you read the law? Guys, have you read the law? Some of you even skip that part of the Bible. <laughs> reading all those rules and rules and this, what I do with my animals and what I do with my on the Sabbath day and guys that's not something that you get warm and fuzzy about and they're listening what God say now I don't know if they just read the book of Deuteronomy that's sometimes considered the book of the law the law is really not in Genesis though the first five books of Moses the Pentateuch it can be looked at you know together but but still, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if they read Genesis to, to the to the end of the Pentateuch. I'm not sure. Maybe they just read Deuteronomy. I don't know because there's more going on here than reading. But most of it is just reading. Okay. Do, do you know how hard it is to keep people's attention today? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know why I walk around so you don't go to sleep. And I was going to say, you know why I speak loud? But that's not why I speak loud. I just can't help that. That's just, that's just the way it's set up. But to keep people attentive. If, if I, you know in the early days of America when there was revival, do you know they read their sermons? They read them. 
Jonathan Edwards read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God because he didn't want to put any more emotion in it to put anything else in it but God working in people's hearts. And the fire of God fell in their lives and revival took place. But it was not with the people that get bored with God's Word. They were hungry. They're just reading. It's hard for us in a day to read that every day. Six hours. You know what ingredient that is? They were so patiently committed to getting something from God that they were willing to go through hardness and what was uncomfortable. There were no lawn chairs in the street. There were no padded pews in the street. There was no air conditioning in the street or heat in the street. I don't know if it was hot or cold. I don't don't know. But there was nobody that could go move the thermostat to make sure that everybody was comfortable enough to hear this guy read the Bible for six hours. They were at, and they weren't just enduring. The Bible says they were attentive. They were attentive. They were listening. Now guys, after an hour or two, where, where would you be? You know what? I read stuff like this and I say, look, you know what? Japheth does, is not a spiritual person. Gentiles are not spiritual people. You've you got to have something different in you to sit there and be spiritual enough to stay attentive to God for six hours while somebody reads the book of the law. It is hard to keep people's attention for a 45-minute sermon in air-conditioned and padded pews, telling stories and running around the church house. People lose their attention. And it's just 45 minutes, an hour, whatever. For six hours, they're in the street. They were standing. There's no wonder God did something for these people. If God sees the seriousness of that, in the average church today, people are already thinking about getting out before they even really get involved in the service. They're not attentive. We're not very spiritual. We just we just aren't. They didn't even have a microphone. He's up there on a pulpit of wood. Don't you know, out of all those thousands of people, there's a guy back there who couldn't hear very well. It's going right. <laughs> but he's still there. Still trying to hear. There are no bathrooms. Right. 
There are no water fountains. Oh, I've got to go get a drink. Just sitting there listening to God, hungry for God. And you know what? This was supposed to have been the norm, but I can't really find anything like this besides what I'm reading. Hold your finger right there. Go to an obscure place in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 31. Maybe this is why they all came. Maybe there was a biblical reason for this approach to Ezra, this initiative of the congregation. Maybe they read this right here. Maybe somebody got a hold of this truth and said, we need to do this. We've we've been failing. Deuteronomy 31. Look, Look how it reads. Watch this now. Deuteronomy 31 verse 10. I don't know that I've ever really considered this too well. Because our story is sort of unprecedented. Deuteronomy 31.10, the Bible says, And Moses commanded them. So this is not an option. This is, this is a commandment. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years. Do you know how easy it is to forget something if it only happens once every seven years? Moses said, Every seven years, this is what I want you to do. At the end of every seven years in the solemnity of the year of release, in the feast of what? That's the context of the month we're in in the book of Nehemiah. Verse 11. When all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and children, thy strangers within thy gates, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law and that their children which have not known anything may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land whither you go over Jordan to possess it. So you know what? They were supposed to be doing that every seven years anyway, but I don't read that throughout the Bible. They did it. You know why? Because people don't want to hear all the Bible read that long. But these people did. Mm. What a commitment. What a commitment. The Bible says in verse in verse number 3, And there's the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood. He's got 13 men there to help him and to stand by on each side of him. Verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And the Bible said, the end of verse 7, And the people stood in their place. Now, I'm not certain, I'm not sure, and I'm not going to preach by saying that I know this to be the case, that they stood for all six hours. That really would have been a miracle. But have you ever been in a six-hour service? Do you want to be in a six-hour service? If God showed up, would you want to be in a six-hour? What if God showed up on the fifth hour? Or on the seventh hour when it was concluded? We get in such a hurry, we don't have time for God. And we wonder why God just don't come down and fill our hearts and thrill our soul. Because we don't have time for Him. We want Him on our schedule, not on His schedule. And I can't stand here and say that I want a six-hour service. Because I'm not very spiritual either. But you know what? I need God. 
And I need to have a hunger for God. And I, I need to quit putting parameters on God. And I need to have enough hide about me that I can endure some things if it's not just perfect. So many times people can't get anything from God unless it's perfect. The people in the building have to be perfect to them. The temperature in the building has to be perfect. The preacher that preaches the message has to be perfect. Everything's got to be perfect. And for somebody that's really hungry for God, it doesn't all have to be perfect. I'm out in the street listening a long time. You said nobody could do that. Well, they, they sit about four or five hours at the at the ball game. I've been I've been to the Alabama football game. You don't get there when it starts. You get there before it starts. People get there hours before it starts. Many times. Walk the quad. Get in there so you can watch them warm up. Game's not even started. And nobody's looking at their what? No, they're saying, let's have, we want the game. Now, it is true if it's a runaway game, they'll start leaving early. But if the game is in doubt, nobody's leaving the stands. They'll stay there hours and hours and hours. These people that go on binges, you know, and they keep watching the next season and the next episode and the next, because they get hooked in it, you know, that's the way they do it. Oh, I got to see the next episode. Hours and hours. I bet there are people that played video games so long they died in the chair. I believe that. But with God, church, I'm just telling you, we need revival. And it cannot be manipulated, and it cannot be choreographed, and it cannot be manufactured. But if our hearts can get in this kind of attitude, it can come. When he had opened the book, the Bible says all the people stood up. Now, I don't think that they were doing that just for a show. I think it was so precious that they stood out of reverence to that book. And I think that's the last little key. There needs to be some reverence and respect for God if we're really going to see a moving of God. This casual attitude toward God instead of a reverence and a respect and a fear for the things of God. I'm fearful it keeps us away from the powerful working of God in our lives because God will not be disrespected. When God is disrespected and not hungered for, when we care more about our comforts than His presence, And we don't have that reverence 
And we don't walk in knowing that God is watching and God is meeting with us because he promised to meet with us. And this is his book and his spirit is here. And I need to have a holy respect for the things of God and, and stand in his presence and have the fear of God in my heart and be willing to listen and be obedient and yield myself when there's no respect for God and there's no respect for the book and there's no reverence for the house of God and the things of God. God's not going to show up. Because he knows how, what we think about him. I don't know if he opened a big chest. You know, they didn't have it printed like we had. When he took out that book, however big it was, the scrolls or whatever it was, and he stood up on that wood and they saw that book. Everybody just stood up. Out of respect for God. into the street.